Hey, welcome to another episode of the pod. Uh, what you're about to listen to is a great conversation to my friend Ricky and I about The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary. Um, unfortunately, my audio is not that great, uh, but I wanted to post this because Ricky has some really great insights that I thought were, you know, it'd be a shame if I had to cut them. So if you can just forgive my audio at certain stages in the pod, I think there's something really great in store for you to listen to. Thanks. Uh, welcome to Ricardo's podcast. I'm back now. It's week eight of working from home. Uh, for the first time, I'm actually recording in the morning, and I'm recording with my good friend Ricky. What's up, Rick? What's up, Rico? I'm good, man. So I just wanted to uh, catch up with you again. I know we're running behind on the episodes of The Last Dance, so we'll run through four of them. Um, but before right. we get into that, <laughs> um, I bought one of those weighted vests that people use to like work out uh, for like high intensity training. Right. <laughs> and so for two days, I've been like jogging with it, feeling good about myself. And then like <laughs> yesterday, I like decided I was going to sprint. So like, you know, I'm standing there stretching, doing all of this like histrionics before I start running. Right. <laughs> and you remember what happened to Michael Johnson when he was racing against Donovan? We Bailey? came up lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the worst part about it was it was like 15 people watching me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was running. Did, you, did like, you come up lame because of the vest, or did you come up lame because of? So I think it's two age. things. I think age is probably eighty percent of it. Not stretching is another ten, and then the oh, other yeah, ten is like that. I'm running with like twenty pounds strapped to me. <laughs> what? Uh, what? What's the? What's exactly the science behind this vest? Um, so it's, it's basically to help me like shed calories more quickly while not having to work out as long. Um, oh, so, gotcha, and also gotcha. strength. Like, I feel like I've just gotten slow. You said also strength. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've just gotten slower as I've gotten older and like, yeah. I just want to do something about it. Like I'm not doing any competitive sports. I doubt it really matters, but like, it just really sucks to age and like lose all athletic ability. Uh, no, it's it's terrible, but you know, yeah, I'm you sure do? you still, you know, you got that natural man physique. I'm still, I'm sure you're still good, brother. Y yes and no. You I know, mean, Kevin, Kevin Willis, Kevin Willis was swole <laughs> well into his eighties. <laughs> what was the other one? Is it Nate Thurman from the Warriors? Nate Thurman, brother. Yeah. So look, before but we I get never to really saw Nate Thurman as a as an old man, I just saw you know that one picture that we always send them. Yeah, like he's his bulging balding. vein in his bicep, and in his and, and hairline down to the there was neck, huh? <laughs> like that there was veins running through his quads too. I think. Oh yeah. Oh, the sound sounds tremendously better now. I don't know what happened, but it sounds way better. Well, you just played with something, so whatever that is, let's keep it going. So, Rick, before well, I didn't do anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So before we get into the last dance, I want to talk to you about two things that happened this week. <laughs> All right. Um, the first one is on, I think, well, both of our, you know, childhood sports icons, actually. So rest in peace to Don Shula, who passed away uh, earlier this week. Definitely. And also Pete Rose. Uh, so I guess you could never find like two men who are so different to speak about them in the same sentence. And, you know, I was... I don't know what that issue is with the sound. Hold on for a second. That sounds good over here. I think I, I love I'm loving it. Okay. Um, so like the first thing I think with like Don Shula is like, you know, I was thinking like, you know, 
doing a tribute to him or whatever. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, there's nothing you can say. He was just like a really great guy. Right. Like he right. never had any of those moments like on to Cincinnati or any of those things where he was just really gruff with the media. He just really loved what he did and was right. a great icon and symbol for the Dolphins. And it really sucks because like I grew up at a time when the Dolphins actually mattered. Like I was watching, right. you know, in the 90s, we kept losing to the Buffalo Bills, but like the Dolphins were my hometown team. And I right. feel like if you started watching the NFL in the last 15 years, you have an idea of the Dolphins that you know just doesn't match up with the history of the franchise it's almost like they've done a complete 180 with the patriots because when i was growing up the patriots were like the trash franchise right right and you know the dolphins of historical significance i was trying to figure it out and i would guess they're probably like the seventh most important franchise in the nfl um definitely one of that the sounds top, right. definitely one of the top 10 so the way i did it i think it was the packers um bears giants um who else was in there steelers cowboys steelers cowboys niners and the patriots of course probably i would say skins probably too ah uh, yeah 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 although the dolphins have been in six super bowls i know the skins have won three yeah and they've only been to three right they've won the three that they've been to <sighs> I feel like the Dolphins beat them. The Raiders beat the Skins, 38-9. And I believe the Dolphins might have beat the Skins in one of the Shula ones. Yeah. so I know the Skins beat the Dolphins also. but Yeah, so just thinking about, like, Shula, he's, like, the winningest coach in the NFL. And it's almost like you have to have, like, a real sense of history to mark his importance because, like, there's nothing gregarious about him. You don't see any old right. film of him yelling at players. He was just like a really classy guy. And so I just wanted to get a sense from you. Like, if you had to do a Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches, would you have him in it? Oh, definitely. I, I think Belichick, obviously, you begin with Belichick and or maybe Lombardi. Um, I think those are – and then Shula's right there. I mean, he's got more wins than anybody. I sent you that text, 33 seasons, only two of them were losing seasons. Yeah. Um. I mean, even Belichick, like, for all of Belichick's accolades with the Patriots, like, he failed as the Browns coach. Um, so Shula doesn't have that, you know, like Nick Saban wasn't a good coach with the Dolphins. Um, uh, Popovich, you know, struggled before Tim Duncan came, and he's struggling now. Like, a lot of great coaches have this so-called great coaches have this time where they're not so great but Shula seemed to really be able to span three decades and be successful yeah and he's averaging over 10 wins a season and this is someone who started when the league had 12 game seasons 14 game seasons and then 16 game seasons so yeah that's uh, impressive yeah um so look let's let's move on from Shula a little bit all I would say is that like I I wish I was home because I know like there's probably a bunch of like Shula related stuff I went on the Sun Sentinel website um but he's probably like the king of talk radio for this week um but I wanted to pivot over to one of your favorite athletes and that's Pete Rose yeah by the way did you know tread lightly brother (laughs) I know did you know that Don Shula's from Ohio I did not know that, but once again, the you know, it makes sense. The greatness. <laughs> yeah, he's from Ohio too. So like, I I hadn't like I googled it to see who like because I knew we were gonna talk about this. 
And once mm-hmm. I saw that he was from Ohio, I wanted to see if he was in the top 10. And sadly, he's not. Um, top 10 in terms of? Like greatest sports figures from this Buckeye state. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, as Sports Illustrated had him just outside the top 10 at number 11. But yeah, back to Pete Rose, right? So there is a story this week that came out from like a Montreal Expos groundskeeper saying that Pete Rose used to cork his bat. And I just wanted to know from you, right? Like, we have the cork bat, we have the gambling, we have the betting on games. Like, <laughs> and like, at what point do you get off the Pete Rose train and say, you know what, man, like, he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Um, I think, I don't, I, the thing with me is, I love I love Pete Rose is you know I remember growing up um, September 11th has changed but September 11th in, in Cincinnati before uh, the World Trade Center was when Pete Rose hit 4192 and broke Ty Cobb's record mm-hmm. and I've told you I, I don't know if there's any city that loves an athlete more than Cincinnati loves Pete because he was born in Cincinnati, went to high school in Cincinnati, he won championships in Cincinnati, he won MVP in Cincinnati, he broke the all-time hit record in Cincinnati. So I'm okay with him not being in the Hall of Fame. Um, It's not really, you know, I'm not trying to uh, storm the Bastille to get him in, but, (laughs) you know, the average... 50 plus year old man I think probably would you know I, I mean he he was old I mean this I, I looked at it because I didn't know anything about it until you mentioned it to me I mean he was past his prime with the Expos I'm sure he probably did it his whole career but the guy that's saying it is when Pete was like 40 something years old corking his bat like let the old man live man like you know like have you ever heard the thing about when Mike Tyson's like, I, I gave my whole life, like, can I at least get laid? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about, about this. Like, you know, I mean, what else do you want to take from Pete? N- nothing, actually. I mean, look, his legs- Not you particular, but like this, you know, this guy. Yeah, but I feel like, and we're probably going to get into this with, like, episodes five and six of The Last Dance, is that, you know, once people start tearing you down, it just never stops. There's, like, this digging and digging and digging for more information on, like, where's more dirt that we can find on Pete? Uh, Yeah. And, you know, this groundskeeper came out, like, what, 30 (laughs) years after the, 36 years after the fact or something like that? Yeah. And And it was odd. Yeah. I don't know what. Maybe he just didn't want to take it to the grave with him. Now his conscience is clean. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He told the world Pete Rose corked his back. Yeah. Um, But look. Yeah, because I was looking. Apparently they like x-rayed. So this isn't really a new revelation. I guess they had x-rayed some of Pete Rose's like memorabilia bats and found cork inside of it. Yeah, I, I think the biggest cork bat fiasco was the Sammy Sosa one, right? When it just blew up in the oh field. man, <laughs> then he was <laughs> he was just out there. But look, Rick, let's get to the last dance, right? Because I think right. so. We have we have four episodes to get through. So three and four was right. kind of the Dennis Rodman episodes, the Bad Boy Pistons, and then right. five and six I feel like was kind of the rise and rise of Michael Jordan. 
and then getting to like the Greek tragedy aspect of it where, you know, Icarus right. flies too close to the sun and comes right. back or to too Earth. Close to the, to, too close to the casino. <laughs> right. Um, so let's start with episodes three and four, right? Because right. It, it centers more on Dennis Rodman than I would have liked it to. Um, okay. But it, it does raise some important things, at least for me about Rodman, right? Like some people say he's overrated. Some people say he's underrated. But the thing you can't really get away from is that he was a starter on five championship teams. Right. And a and, huge and piece, there's huge there, piece. I mean, who else has that? you know, having started on five championship teams in the NBA. There's Kobe, there's Jordan, there's Pippen, there's Rodman, there's Bill Russell, of course, and all those old Lakers. There's Kareem, there's Magic. Was Worthy on all the five championship teams? Worthy was not. Okay, so right now we're basically not counting the old Celtics. We're at less than 10 players in the history of the league. Wow, I, I didn't I mean that's an interesting stat, yeah. And and yet through it all, people I've listened to people who I respect who are kind of, you know, well known sports figures say Rodman really wasn't that important. And I just wonder if you think it if you follow that line of thinking or if you don't think it's a bit of revisionist history. Um, yeah, I think Rodman is probably the greatest role player um in the history of, of basketball. Because the thing about Rodman was he was as good a one-on-one defender. I mean, he could really guard one through four. I mean, he was defensive player of the year twice. The rebounding is just absurd. And, you know, the Bulls were a good team with a a transcendental player and Scottie Pippen. Then they had Rodman and then 72 wins, 69 wins, 62 wins. Um, I And I, you know, we'll, I guess we'll get into the Pistons, and I hope you give me an opportunity to hate on Isaiah Thomas. I will, I will. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't think they win championships without Dennis Rodman, to be perfectly honest. I think the, bu- the bulk of why the Pistons won, I know, I know Isaiah was the scorer, kind of like Derrick Rose was the scorer or or Allen Iverson was the scorer. And I, I put Isaiah above, above those two, but I think why those three teams won wasn't primarily because of those guys. It was more the, the role players that played defense and kind of locked it down. Right, right. And the, the easier narrative was like, oh, he scored, you know, whatever, points, but. And that's, I think Rodman is a big, big piece of why the bad boys were what they were. Yeah, like, it, it's funny because I, again, I caught Rodman roughly around the the um, the San Antonio Spurs stage of his career, right? When he was sitting right. there with his shoes off, like, being a menace. And then he gets to yeah. Chicago, and it just seems like everything actually is working. And so yeah. I, I wonder if, you know, some of that has to do with Phil, Michael, and Scotty, or if he just decided to turn it off in, in San Antonio and turn it back on. Because that's one of the things that come comes out in episodes three and four is that, you know, Dennis needs space to be Dennis, whatever that means. It means mostly to go out right. and party, get drunk, have a wild time, 
Did you see when they right, got off right. the bus and like Phil was like, "Are you guys going to the pool?" And, and Rodman was like, "No, I'm going to Hooters." <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't tongue in cheek about it at all. So, like, talk a little bit about like your thoughts in terms of what Rodman is like are you excited about like that off the court stuff about him or is it something that ultimately doesn't matter because he performed yeah cause, because i was thinking they showed the clip of him with barbara walters i yeah i i mean obviously i was a huge bulls fan i don't i don't care what any of these guys do as long as they you know perform on the court and he was amazing on the court but the thing i was thinking about when i saw him on barbara walters who today, like what NBA player would be on Barbara Walters? Maybe Steph Curry? Yeah. Obviously LeBron. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, uh, uh, somebody of in the kind of hierarchy of the NBA where we classified Rodman basically as a role player to kind of have transcended his sport the way that he did. Yeah. It's kind of I can't think of anyone did it before him, and I can't think of anybody who did it after him to that level where they with that level of fame. Because he also and, had the you know playing alongside book, Jordan right? had something to do with it. You said what? But he also had that number. Was it a best selling book or was it number one? It it may it was definitely best selling as, as bad as I want to be. Yeah, um, where he's on the motorcycle nude. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean. Like I don't know who could garner that type of attention today that, that he had. I mean, because I think the, the the most analogous player now would be probably Draymond Green, right? I and think no that's who cares. people... Yeah, you know what I mean? No, There's no way Draymond Green would be on Barbara Walters <laughs> or write a best-selling book. Um, like, even, let's take it beyond but, the NBA, right? Like, let's look across the entire American sports landscape. Like, who would it be? Beyond, like, you know, the great yeah. players. Like, is there a Beyond role? the, right. Yeah, I can't think, I can't think of anyone. Josh Gordon. Because <laughs> I feel like the, the criteria that's required is someone who's fighting some kind of personal demons, right? Right. And it would require that person to have, you know, failed a few times in their personal life, but still be performing uh, at a very high level, which I guess would mean that it's not Josh Gordon because he can't stay on the field. Right. So I think you're right. Yeah, he's he's probably the only one. Um, and so, like, the other thing about it that's interesting is that, like, not only did he go to the Bulls, but he was also a member of, like, their most heated rival um, when he was yeah. with the Bad Boy Pistons. and. You know, one of the doc, like the biggest loser in this entire documentary to me. And, Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> and by loser, I mean like the person whose stat stature in the game is being questioned the most is, I is Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, and, for good reason. And I feel like part of the problem for Isaiah is that it seems like that whole bad boy thing was an act. And either that or he's now at a phase of his life where he wants to reconcile everything and the people who he's wrong, right. they've just been like, no, I'm not with it. And right. it's unfortunate for him because everything in that documentary just makes Isaiah seem like this really, really bad person. And again, right. by the time I started watching basketball and moved to the U.S., Isaiah's prime was over. So I'll right. leave it to you to go ahead and pour more hot lava on Isaiah. Go ahead. Well, I, I think 
you know, I mean, you have talked, I think Isaiah is a, a great kind of ambassador for the game now in terms of being able to articulate um, nuance and mm-hmm. things that we may not be able to see. And obviously he was a great player, um, a warrior. He won a championship at Indiana. But af- from the time that he won those two championships on, from the time he walked off the court and went past Jordan, didn't shake his hand, his kind of he's had a series of failures in the public eye, like with the CBA and with being the Knicks head. And it seems Not like, making a dream team. Well, yeah, and it seems like he's ran from it and made excuses about all of it. Like even with the, and even, and this is what, when I start like going off on text about Isaiah was when he talked about walking off the court and he tried to make an excuse by saying the Celtics did it, which it wasn't even the same. It wasn't even remotely the same. They didn't walk right past the Pistons. The game was virtually over. The crowd was surging toward the court. Um, and the the Celtics just got out of there, you know, the, the game was basically over. It wasn't like this intended slight to the Pistons, right? And and before that, like Magic Johnson had congrat- gone in the locker room and congratulated Isaiah when they won the championship. It wasn't this thing where you just didn't congratulate Yeah, because even after the Lakers them. lost to the Bulls, Magic went into the locker room and hugged Jordan. Yeah, it wasn't so... That type of like line that Isaiah does and that like fake smile, it just rubs me the wrong way. And I just, I remember how they were. And he was, he was clearly the ringleader. So for him now to, in his old age, to not be able to like embrace it and say, yeah, you know, that, that was, that was, wrong i mean he has but he still coats it with some type of an, of an excuse yeah like i and like wish, i said go ahead sorry rick but i wish isaiah would just own it right and yeah. here's what i think about when i think of isaiah owning it you remember the movie a time to kill when samuel jackson is on the stand yeah bro and he's like yeah i think they deserve to die and i hope they burn in hell right and that's how i feel about the best <laughs> like i really wish that isaiah would like keep that kind of energy even now, because like Bill Lambert is like, I still hate them. Even Jordan is like, yeah, I respect exactly. Isaiah, but I hate him. Right. And Isaiah is the only one who's like looking for peace. And I don't know if it's right. because, you know, when you're the one who's wronged someone, it's more incumbent on you to try to fix it. But you can't expect simply because you want to fix it. The person you've wronged is now ready for reconciliation. Right. Exactly. exactly. And I feel like Perfect. him coming to terms with magic is now kind of, I don't know if he's on a campaign to kind of wash his um, reputation a little bit, but it certainly right. feels like it. And I bet you if he had came out and be like, yeah, we walked off the court, we hated them. And I still hate them now. Yeah. I hate that we lost. That's it. Like, exactly. I feel like that would have been more defensible than what he's trying to do now, which is to say that, oh, you know, um, that's just how it was back in those days. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and he also, the thing that, that there was like this subtle thing that he did when he was explaining, and he tried to lump the city of Detroit with it. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Jordan had disrespected the city of Detroit. And I almost feel like he was trying to, like, set up some type of, like, racial, like, Uncle Tom type thing with Jordan. Like, Jordan didn't say anything about the city of Detroit. He was very specific about, you know, the Pistons not representing the game. This was obviously after game three is what Isaiah said, which I'll take him at his word. But he tried to say, like, well, the whole city, he put down the whole city of Detroit. No, he didn't. Like, what What are you doing? Like, he's just, you know, like I, we've talked about it. He's he's great. The way he described Derrick Rose in Chicago is fantastic, you know. But if he dies, he dies. Yeah, I, I feel that. Like, I love Isaiah. Um, Like, I, I've said this in all our chats, right? Like, I just like the way he describes and talks about basketball. And, you know, when I – one of the unfortunate things is that I never got to see him in his prime because even Jordan, who doesn't like him, says, look, Magic is the best point guard and Isaiah's right behind him. Right. And yeah. know, other people I know or whose opinions I respect, they reflect a similar thing. Like, you know, Isaiah's probably the second best point guard to ever play the game. And so to see his reputation now kind of going down the drain a little bit, it sucks. But he was kind of the architect of his own demise. And Yeah, and 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 I've told you this before, but like one of the I you know, I I, I have a strong dislike for um the Michigan Wolverine, but I can't I, I honestly I can't remember hating any team more than I hated the Pistons. Bland beer specifically. And it's such a tremendous joy to have the Bulls sweep them off the court, subsequently win three consecutive championships, which made the Pistons irrelevant. And then to watch Isaiah have to do commentary during some of Jordan's greatest moments. And you know it just ate him up inside. And and the fact that he thought maybe that Jordan had kept him off the dream team and he just sat there helpless as Jordan made all these incredible memories and he had to act like he was like happy or impartial was just I cannot tell you how satisfying that was as a sports fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wonder if I but do you hate Isaiah and the Pistons simply because they were standing in the way of your favorite team? Or do you hate them because of what they stood for? So there's like, I hated Joe Montana when I was young, right? Because he beat the Bengals in two Super Bowls. But Joe Montana wasn't like trying to take out Icky Woods' knee when he was doing the shuffle. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, the Pistons were just deplorable. Like, they're, they're like, they, you know, it was not good basketball. They were Bill Lambeer was a thug. Bill Lambeer was a hula. Bill Lambeer was terrible for the game. Like it was not entertaining to watch them play. It they were they were jerks, man. Like as plain and simple as that. So yeah, they were standing in Jordan's way. I I, I disliked them for that. But it was ridiculous, man. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. All right. Okay, let's move on from episodes three and four and get into kind of like Jordan himself now, because the thing I like about five and six is that like, you really start getting into why he's so competitive, why he got to where he is. 
And there's this moment when he's like, you know, he's there with the dream team. Right. And Ahmad Rashad asks him, yo, if, if there's a last shot, who's going to take it? Shot, yeah. And he looks at him and he's like, me, that's a stupid question. Yeah. yeah and yeah, it made yeah. me think instantly about, you know, today, how people talk so much about, oh, he made the right basketball play. And I, I, I feel, <laughs> you, you know where I'm going. And I feel like yes. in that moment, there's kind of this sense that the right basketball play is to get the ball in the hands of the best player and have him take the shot. Um, right. Because maybe a difficult shot for your best player is a higher percentage shot than a wide open one for, sure, your, sure. for one of the worst players. Right. And so it, the thing that really struck me was just how comfortable he was being on top of the mountain and how comfortable everyone around him was with the idea that he was better than them. Well, th I think he, he kind of dragged them to that. Like, I think they all, I mean, you know, and that's another thing that's so amazing about him was like how many of these great players just had to just capitulate. Yeah. And you hear Barkley say, like, that was the first time I thought somebody was better than me. And you, I mean, Bird, even though Bird beat him, like, Bird was like, that's God disguises Michael Jordan. Or you see magic in that practice. Mm -hmm. Like, this last flourish before Jordan just puts his foot on his neck, basically, and, like, yeah. takes over the lead. Um, and I feel I, like I that practice. Really a testament to his, great, his greatness, yeah. Yeah, that practice you're talking about seems to me because they talk about this dream team practice where everyone's in the gym, uh, Jordan's team is down eight, and Magic is like, you got to turn in the air, Jordan, or else y'all going to lose. And then he rips yeah. off like 10 straight points. And I feel like that's the moment where everyone kind of realizes that like this guy is not like the rest of us. And you know what, um, what was cracking me up was when Magic was like, Complaining about the situation. <laughs> yeah. That's all that he was like, uh, what did he say? He was like, they brought they Chicago was, Stadium. Was stadium here. right here. That's all they did. That's all they did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the thing about the dream team, so just to kind of put Jordan's dominance in perspective, so you have all these tremendously great players. The only player on that team that ever beat Jordan in the playoff series is Bird. And he basically beat him before he had Pippen. Yeah. Magic, so he beat, he was 2-0 versus Malone, 2-0 versus Stockton, 1-0 versus Magic, 5-0 versus Ewing, 3-0 versus Barkley, and 1-0 versus Drexler. So 12-0 against the greatest assortment of talent in maybe the history of sport, except for Larry Bird. Wow, I never thought about that. Because I, I think the way I had thought about it was in finals, in that, like, one of the things for Jordan is that he's seven, he's like seven and zero against dream teamers, right? And that requires you to double count Stockton and Malone twice, right? <laughs> um, and it's just like the. I feel like in sports, and I said it last time we talked, you're kind of defined by who your adversary is. Yeah. And you either rise and fall based on the person across the net from you, across the court from you, or across from the line of scrimmage. And he had to go through great historical players every right. time he was in the finals. And, you know, no one was ever better than him. And if we fast forward to today, I feel like the difference between him 
And I, I think Kobe is in this too because I've never seen someone completely demolish Kobe uh, on the defensive. Oh, end. yes, you have. Yes, you have. Tell me. I, I mean, I'm probably having selective memory, but remind me. Well, the I mean, he got outplayed by Pearson and, and Allen in 2008, 2004. Right, right. Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton outplayed. No, what I mean more is kind of like the way that Kevin Durant just kept busting shots in like LeBron's face, right? Okay, Richard Hamilton and Chauncey Billups did. Okay, Paul so, Pierce so, did. So what I'm saying is, so I'm wrong about that. So let's remove that. I, so let's remove Kobe from the discussion then and just make it about Jordan. Because like the thing about it that's great is that like I don't have a memory of like Jordan in his prime in the finals, like just having complete problems guarding someone for an entire series. No, yeah, and no, the, definitely not. You know, he was always the best player. And like my introduction to basketball was actually like the 92 finals because I'd moved to America August of 91. And so like this whole Drexler and Jordan thing was a big deal for me who had no context. And yeah. I remember exactly where I was for that game one. Like I was in my brother's room on that little TV and Jordan just completely destroyed him. Cause I came into yeah. that game thinking like, Oh, Clyde Drexler, maybe he'll be my favorite player. And he just got washed. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then he wasn't. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just like time after time, whenever there was a challenge in front of him, he just like took it personally. No, and I, I agree with you 100%. And that's I, because I cannot think of a series where he did not show that he was the best player on the court. Like, and I, don't, I can't think of any um, basketball player where that, that's the case. I mean, he, he played countless playoff series, and every single one of them, he was the man. Never to be outplayed. It's, it, it's astonishing. Yeah, and I feel like one of the things that everyone else who kind of has is in that discussion for the best player ever, there was always someone else who you're like, well, maybe that guy's better than him. I think the only right. other player who has that is probably Kareem in the 70s, right? Where right. Was, I, yeah, you're probably right. Yep. Where it's like Jordan and Kareem are the only two guys who have been head and shoulders for a decade above all the competition. Yeah, because even right. when Russell won all those rings, people would think that Wilt was the better player. Well, he sure. just didn't care as much. And fast forward to LeBron, I think a lot of people, including Kevin Durant himself, probably thought he was better right. than LeBron when he was killing him in the finals. Or right. there was a time in LeBron's career when people thought Kobe was better and a time in Kobe's career when people right. thought LeBron was better. But at no point did anyone think anyone was better than Mike. No. Yeah. And it's only after 100%. he's retired that it's become a conversation because you get to watch other people do things without him being a part of the landscape. And you're like, ah, could that guy be better than Mike? And uh, my thing now is like, we've seen other people be better than that guy right now. <laughs> so we don't even have right. to go so far as Mike. We can go to your contemporaries right. and find someone right. who this guy for a year that. or two was better than you were. Right. Um, no, so, I agree. I agree yeah. And the other part of it I wanted to touch, too, is like not only the dominance, not only kind of, you know, the rise, but the moment at which, like, oh, let's talk about the Nike thing, because I never knew that, like, he almost didn't sign with Nike. And it was his mom who was like, you're going to get on that plane. Man, that was. That was amazing, man. Like, I was, I was so <laughs> enthralled, like, because. 
you know, you you want you want this documentary to like inform you at some point. Like it's a trip down memory lane. Yeah. But at the same time, you want this behind you want these behind the scene stories. And that was just like amazing. Like just the you know, in hindsight, you know what the shoe means to the cult the culture. Yeah. And to see that he was so close to just not doing it and like from his own mouth, like he was an Adidas guy. And yeah. That I thought that was very I thought that was really, really interesting. And and another thing I thought that was interesting about what he said, just in terms of like, you know, what that shoe has become. Yep. And kind of how now when you're an athlete, and I don't know if it was Jordan, I I, I think it might have been Alonzo Mourning, who they asked they asked him something and he said, I don't work for the NBA, I work for Nike. And there was Jordan said something in the documentary. He was like, my game show sold these shoes. Yeah, 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 exactly. He was like, look, you know, my game was my best advertisement because if I was getting two points and three rebounds a game, no one would care about my shoes. Yeah, and it's like that wasn't his aim. And I'm not knocking anybody now for it, but he just changed the, the dynamic of like what an athlete is and like what an athlete strives for you know now you know athlete he made space jam now athletes want to you know rap or do movies or whatever like but that wasn't a thing before him and that's not something that was in his mind did he do you know i mean he just wanted to play basketball and everything stemmed from that like really organically yeah and i think that was kind of the problem with Shaq, right that was what people were saying about Shaq early on was that he was getting too involved in other things and that was taken away from basketball. Whereas like Jordan waited until he got to the top of the mountain uh, before doing those other things. Um, right. The, the thing that really touched me when I was watching it was actually the Gatorade like Mike commercial. Because yeah. again, I was really young when those came out. And right. I'm not going to lie. I never wanted to be like Mike. But like that right. commercial was like such a moment for me because I was like, oh snap, like I remember this. Like this was a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um the, I think the two biggest campaigns he had was that one and the McDonald's one with Larry Bird. Or was it what was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was Bird, yeah. Where they're shooting from all parts of the um all parts arena. of the gym, like from up in the sky yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So but to go back to your point on, you know, what it means to be an athlete, because I think where things start to fall apart, I think for some people for Jordan was that he didn't perhaps take his social um, significance as seriously as some others have. And, you know, part of being a black athlete in America is to be an activist. Um, And there's a very long line of them. There's Jackie Robinson. There's like Kareem. There's, you know, Jim Brown. There's Bill Russell, there's Muhammad Ali, um, there's LeBron yeah. now in, in the stuff that he's doing. And I feel like when Jordan didn't take a stance and, you know, was so focused on basketball and, and I, I like that he talked about it head on and said, look, man, like that just wasn't my thing. Right. <laughs> it was funny when he's, he was talking about the conversation with his mom and he was like, I'm not going to talk out of pocket about some guy I don't know, but I'll write a check. <laughs> right. <laughs> And the thing is, it wasn't the money that would have made a difference. It was actually a, a moment of that guy standing next to Mike that would have made a difference. And so right. 
do you feel in any way that his legacy is either tarnished or diminished by the fact that he wasn't an activist at all in a public manner? I'm right. sure there's yeah. some things I he's done that we don't know. I think that activism, um, <clears throat> I think a big part of Muhammad Ali is his activism, right? I think that puts him on kind of a different tier. But if you took the activism away, he still would be, you know, one of the greatest boxers ever. I think activism is like garnish. I think it, it maybe adds something, but does it tarnish Michael Jordan because he wasn't, you know, didn't have a Black Lives Matter shirt on like LeBron or it has hands up, don't shoot. I mean, I, I think as a as a as a black man, you have you're always confronted with that, and you ideally you would have a certain responsibility. But I think, like he said, you know, his way of um, honoring his responsibility was, you know, being a great basketball player, being a role model to people, whatever that means. But I, I never. That never bothered me. Yeah. Um, that he wasn't, you know, surrounded by like not going to Vietnam or, you know, because honestly, and I, I dig what he was saying. I mean, like, sometimes you can be wrong. Like, you can take a stand and just because you're active or just because you're loud and saying something, you could be on the wrong side. There's, there's two sides to a story. And if you want, if you're not, just like this China thing. Right. Right. Like, so he made the guy made a comment, and then, like, you know, these basketball players are like, look, man, like, even LeBron James, like, yeah, quote unquote activist is saying, you know, basically, man, you messing up my money. Shut up. Like, don't speak out about this. Right. So, right. you know, it's, it's easy for someone to say what somebody should do when they're not putting things on the line. Like, I think Muhammad Ali, what he did is very brave and courageous. Um, but I can't expect that from everyone. And I think Ali's really, obviously Jackie Robinson, it was thrust upon him. Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell. But that time was so different than right, this right. time. And people might say that it was, but, you know, I watched something about, and real quick, I watched something about um, 40 Minutes of Hell, and it was about Nolan Richardson. Yeah, the Arkansas coach. And he talked about how when he played for Texas Western, like there were games that he couldn't play because he was black. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're raised in that type of dynamic. So, you know, when you when you hear Nolan Richardson talk and when he got dismissed or whatever. Him being black was a big part of he had a lot of pain around that. Right. See, he could point to times where he was not able to fulfill a dream or do whatever because he was black. Muhammad Ali, same thing. Jim Brown, they can all tell you stories. Michael Jordan probably never had a time. He was able to become a billionaire on a team, uh, become the greatest basketball player in history. There was never a time probably in his mind, it might have been something small, but he probably felt like you could overcome it, where... I can't do this because I'm black. Right. But and let me push back against what, that. 
a little Sorry. bit, right? Because for that kind of thought process to work, it would require you to think that you would only get involved with things that affect you directly. And if you're black in America, you do understand that there's a large part of the population that can't do things precisely because of the way they look, even though Absolutely. you personally can walk into any room and be accepted. But there's this greater social responsibility that no one asks for, right? It's thrust upon you. And how you deal with it kind of defines a part of you. And it's right. this, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You don't necessarily choose to be someone with this much influence, but the fact is that you have it. And now the question is, what are you going to do with it? And it was interesting to watch like President Obama as he sat there trying as hard as he could to explain it in a way that would not insult Michael Jordan. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it was painful to watch because, you know, deep down, he was like, man, you should have spoke up. But he didn't want to say that. And right. I'm kind of on your side of the fence where individually you cannot force or foist activism upon someone who's not predisposed to it because then right. it becomes an act. And I think for Mike, like so many like so many other things in his life, he wasn't interested. He just wanted to play basketball um, right. and gamble. And so to the gambling thing, right? Gamble. <laughs> right. So the funny thing about the gambling is watching him explaining it away. <laughs> oh, um, man. It sounded like the worst type. I mean, it sounded like somebody who's just on the verge of losing everything. <laughs> the, the wild thing was when he was being interviewed by Ahmad Rashad in the sunglasses. With the glasses. <laughs> And he was like, I don't have, if I had a problem, I'd be, I'd be hawking this watch. <laughs> I'd be hawking you this watch. My wife would leave me. And I think she ultimately did. I don't know why, but they definitely yeah. split. And, you know, here you have like this kind of spotless, like Im Im impeccable person at the time that yeah. media was putting out. Who was like consorting with these gamblers and murderers? Yeah, and and the what was the guy's name? Boo! Oh man, what was Skip his name? Something. Skip. Yeah, man. I was like, who is this man? And when I saw the picture of him, I don't know if it was Skip, but he looked like <laughs> Slick from like WWF back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just yeah, it was. Um, that was another thing that was eye opening because I don't remember that at all. I guess it was kind of. Uh, news. I remember the book like Michael and me, and I remember the yep. gambling stuff, and I remember the like, you know, the thing about that's why he retired, and then his dad, and it was tied to gambling and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he he was and is. Um, I mean, it seems like a degenerate gambler. <laughs> like like I, he's throwing quarters against the wall with the security guys. Yeah, man, and that was like throughout this whole thing, like this guy's need to compete or like never just take like a small joke mm -hmm. and be able to just take it like I almost there's, there's got to be something like chemical like it, I don't it, I don't <laughs> think it it didn't seem like something that's nurtured in him it seemed like something that's hardwired in this guy like it, people would make like this even like when bird and um magic kind of tease him a little, he, always has to come back with something. Yeah. Like, like oh, you ain't been in the league for two years or something like that. You ain't got fouled. 
you know, yeah, like, when Magic was that, like, oh, you can't get too close to Michael, it's a foul. He was like, you ain't fouled nobody in, in two years. You ain't fouled out of Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, it's like he never can just laugh it off. Yeah. Or it, he can never, like, he's, he's, he's out here, like, calling security on security because he, <laughs> he lost the, you know, it's just, because, um, you know, you always think of these things, like, uh, and, and maybe you, you do as well. Like as a father, you're like, okay, you look at these people, and like, there's certain things of by you these people. You mean your kids? Soul. No, like the like um, great great men. Okay, got it, like, got it. You know, like Brady had that slide, or Jordan had the Brady was driving the seventh round. Jordan with the um, not making varsity, like these things, and you're like, is so how can I do these things? So maybe my kid is motivated. He's not coddled. Yeah, and when I watch the thing about Jordan, I'm like, no, this guy is just—he's born. He's got some type of chemical imbalance. So, like, I don't think this is nurture. If one of the questions that might go towards some of it being nurtured, maybe it's kind of the slights that came out in episodes one and two, where he's talking about like you know, thinking his brother was his dad's favorite. Right. Right. And maybe some of that competitive fire is like, you know, maybe what drove him early on was to overcome his brother and be his father's favorite. Because one of the things you notice is dad plays like a, his dad's a very central character in this whole thing. Yeah. Um, he's everywhere. So like Sandra, she watched all the episodes on Sunday, like sat down right. and was like for six hours. And she was like, when she found out it was his dad next to him, she was like, oh, I thought that was just some guy who worked for the team who was always there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so maybe some of that comes from there is, you know, perhaps he's driven by this fire that was lit very early. Or like you said, it could be, you know, some kind of pre precondition. Yeah, because and that's I think I, 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 I texted you. I thought that was very poignant. When he said the thing about he wanted his dad's attention from his brother, and then you heard his dad kind of say, like, you know, Michael wasn't good at at fixing things. So I used to be like, man, get out of here. Where's your brother? Right. And so that that was the narrative I created. I was like, oh, that's it. But then as the the story <laughs> keeps going, I'm like, my God, man. Like, this is I know people who have like what their dad's attention, but this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. Especially when he was playing, when he was shooting the quarters up against the wall, I was like, oh, come on, man. And betting him, like, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then when he's talking about, like, what Will Perdue was like, dude, we're not, we don't want to play $1,000 hands. He was like, that's not the point. I want to put your money in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are teammates. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, even if it's just a dollar of your money, I want to say I beat you and I took it. Yeah, it's like just this rush, like that he needs, like. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about, because um, we've been going for a while, but it's fine. I thought we'd be off quicker because it's like two a.m. where you are. But <laughs> yeah. the last thing I want to talk about is actually Charles Barkley, um, uh -huh. because I think one of the people who came off really well in these last two episodes is Barkley. Like, you tend to forget as people move away from their playing career just how good they were when they played. Yeah. Like the Ahmad Rashad I know is NBA inside stuff with Willow Bay, but he's a four time right, Pro Bowl, right. right? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes, like, Bobby I think Moore. for younger people, I'd say people, what, under 30, like their idea of Charles Barkley is just this loudmouth on television. 
and overweight. Yeah, and it was really refreshing to watch Barkley go to work and see some of the numbers he put up against Mike in the finals. And yeah. you sometimes forget just how great players were and the idea that someone like Draymond Green, right, who very accomplished, all-star, but as Barkley said, man, averages a triple single. And yeah. <laughs> the idea that he could put himself in the same conversation with Barkley suggests to me that modern players think the league was just like a bunch of guys just running around smoking cigars and like drinking Miller Lite. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I was I I knew I you know I'm a, a stat head, so I was aware of how like good Barkley was. I think it was interesting just seeing images of him over and over where he's not like skinny chuck. like yeah, you know, like a like just the swollen version of himself, like to see him in his prime. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I I think that and just in talking to like younger people now, they have no concept of 15 or 20 years ago even though the you know you can look at the stats or whatever and i hope this documentary kind of people are watching it kind of opens their eyes a little bit because if you talk to you know when i talk to young guys now like kobe and lebron are better than michael jordan lebron is especially like with young people like are you kidding me like lebron's better and it's not really based on anything other than just like he's who I see now, right? So he's the best. Um, and I think Draymond Green, like you know, kind of the audacity of, and I, I think you know, Chuck said it perfectly. Like they're here to see Justin Timberlake. Like they're not here to see Lance Bass. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? Like when you if you go solo, you know what I mean you know, you're in the lottery, Draymond. Like, you're nothing. Like, you're here because of Steph, Clay, and and then Durant. Um, so, yeah, how could he possibly... And that's the whole thing with, like, that's what, like, that... When you count rings... Yeah. You, you, you embolden fools like Draymond to, to speak on Barkley. But, I mean, to Draymond's point, and I heard Draymond talk here recently, like, you know, if Chuck's gonna just keep going at it, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. At some point, he can't just be like, "Oh yeah, he averaged twenty-five and ten. Like, I'm just gonna let him get at me." Like, no, nah, you know, I, I, I get it to an extent. And you know, Chuck is a loud mouth. You know, he's he is, he is. So, yeah. And, but it, it was just great to see because even I had forgotten, right? Like that season when he came back from the Dream Team. And I think he didn't say it in the documentary, but he did say it at another time where he was like, you know, practicing with Jordan all summer made me realize like what it really took to get to that next level. Yeah. And I remember Jordan saying about, I think he was talking about him in particular, but I remember Jordan was talking about the dream team practices. Yeah. And he said he watched how the other guys practice and he realized why he was so much better than them. And I've heard I heard Pippen say also about Barkley when he played with him with the Rockets, like he saw why he never won a championship. Yeah. Because he wasn't willing to pay the price that Michael paid and that Michael made Scotty pay. Yeah. That 
Yeah, that's an interesting point because I I, I think and, and Jordan talks about it in some of the later episodes, like the sacrifices to be a champion. Right. And right. he gets really mad in episode seven and eight on like the guys like Will Perdue or whoever who came after they won the first three titles. And he's like, you guys had nothing to do with it, but now you're playing on the bulls <laughs> and you're benefiting from this thing I created. Right. And right. I think that's where some of the bullying comes from, right? Like the idea that like I was hazed by the Pistons. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. now that you guys are here, I want you to know what it really takes before you even get hazed by an external team. And so he was really getting into Scotty Burrell. Like, can you imagine your mom like watching video footage of you of one of your friends saying, Mom and Dad, he's an alcoholic? <laughs> yeah, and that was. When I was, I think that was the low point of the, of the whole thing for me because it was just so much hate. It was just like he sound like he didn't sound like the most famous person in the world. He sounded like the guy who can't get girls, who's like, you know, like you don't want to date this guy. Like he, I think he has herpes. Like, that's what he, he sounded like. Like, this ineffectual little man. Like, he sounded like Jerry Krause. Yeah, he was like, he can't he can't even keep one girl. Yeah, like... <laughs> and, like, Burrell is, like, imploring him, like, please stop. He's like, my parents are watching this. And it just is like, okay, good. Like, and I can tell it to your parents. Yeah. Like... Mom and dad, he's, he's a alcoholic. Jerk, man. He's a jerk, Yeah. Yeah. But Rick, man, thanks for doing this. I know it's late. Uh, we've been going for about an hour now. Um, I'll probably hit you up maybe Monday uh, next week so we can go over episode seven and eight. All right, brother. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Peace. All right, no problem.